Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Dear Young Rocker is more than just a podcast about music. It's a memoir of how it feels to survive high school when you don't fit in and the freeing feeling of picking up a guitar for the first time. It's also advice for anyone who is or was young and has ever felt weird or alone. Dear Young Rocker is written and narrated by me, Chelsea Erson, executive produced by Jake Brennan, and comes to you from Double Elvis Productions. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush, Friday interview edition with Casey. Hello. And what you're listening to now, if you're a fan of Ghost World, I don't have to tell you what this is. You're, you're <laughs> busting a move right now. It is good stuff. This is, uh, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so all apologies. But I'm going to pronounce it John Pehechen Ho. That might be right. Yeah. Indian rock and roll Bollywood song, sung by Mohammad Rafi, composed by Shankar... Jackie Sean. Lyrics by Shelindra. And that's been Movie Crush. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I imagine we're fading it out right about now. Welcome, sure. Casey. Hey, great to be here. How are you? That sounded very unenthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm a little thrown off by the space, so I'm, I'm, I'm acclimating. Yeah, we are in a different studio today, and um, I guess this one creeps Casey out for some I, reason. The window, man. The window is doing things to me. I don't know why. Yeah, Ramsey's looking in there. This yeah. big mop of hair. <laughs> That's weirding me out. <laughs> Can something just be normal today? We'll try. We'll try to get there. Uh, so, Casey, before we get going on Ghost World... Uh, do you want to talk Oscars a little bit? Just sure. kind of, uh, I mean, this will be kind of old hat by then, but. Yeah, I'm sure people are probably sick of hearing about it, but. Maybe. Just give me a couple of highlights for you and a couple of lowlights, whether uh, it's. To, to me, the, the highlight of the night was seeing Bong Joon-ho just run the board on, you know. A movie that I will have seen by the time. Oh, you haven't seen Parasite yet. This comes out. Yeah. But yeah, I, haven't, yeah. I still have not seen that goddamn movie. Yeah. I, I saw it. Um, Almost a year ago now in Paris at the the Satellite Can event. Show off. And, uh, I remember you talking about that. But, it, you know, it was, it was, I mean, I liked it at the time. I think I gave it a four out of five. Mm-hmm. I had no expectation or, or notion whatsoever that it would continue to, like, have the kind of second life it's had here in the U.S. Yeah. With all the kind of 
you know, mainstream attention and success and so on. $35 million domestic gross is not bad I've, for I've, a I've Korean had, film. Yeah, I've, I've had that experience any number of times of seeing something that I thought was really great there. That disappears. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it barely opens here or it never opens at all. Right. So I, I you know. because Iron Man isn't in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, my my uh, my way of gauging that, I just had no idea it was going to have such legs. And I think, I think Bong Joon-ho was quite surprised by that as well. It was pretty neat. He's a great guy. He was quoted uh, somewhere as saying that he thought he had made the film about very, very specifically Korean issues mm-hmm. in, in, in their society today with uh, wealth disparity and so on. And he's like, no. But then I realized, like, as the film started to travel the world, we all kind of live in one country called capitalism. And Interesting. that's basically, you know, everybody can relate to to something about that movie. So um, that was that was really cool. I love that he gave Scorsese such a outsized um, shout out from the stage sure. during one of his acceptance speeches. And you could tell Scorsese was genuinely moved by it as well. I think so. Yeah. And uh, gave gave Tarantino kind of a little shout out as well for yeah. being um, an early supporter of, of, of some of his films. And then kind of yeah, that was nice. threw the other two in there just to yeah. be polite. Exactly. <laughs> but you could tell it was it was really about Scorsese and Tarantino. Yeah, yeah. Um, low light. Well, Uncut Gems getting like not even acknowledged. Yeah, I think my low light, and I talked about it with uh, with Paul. Paul stepped in last minute to talk Oscars. Oh, cool! Yesterday, yeah. but uh, and it's probably not fair because I have not seen Judy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the performance is great. Yeah, but I really wanted Scarlett Johansson to win that for *Marriage so, Story*. Yeah, so did I. So did I. I thought she just acted her ass off in that movie. Yeah, and I'm just kind of tired of the play an icon, win an award thing. And I, yeah, that movie was Judy. I'm saying was not anywhere near like my radar at all. Mm-hmm. I, it just came completely out of left field to me that yeah. Um, I I just thought it was an extra nomination. I didn't consider it. For Did a you second. see it? No, I didn't see it. So no, I don't. Maybe know it's how great. I don't know. But it I'm just, sure it's fine, and I'm sure she's great. Uh, Renee Zellweger um, is a fine actor. Not slagging her. I just wanted my my favorite to win. Yeah, and it, it just you know, as as award season is is kind of wearing on, like it just feels like there's certain movies that you hear more about mm-hmm. that are part of the conversation that people are excited about. Judy was not one. I had not heard anything <laughs> about that movie, so no, I know, didn't that's, either. That's my only gauge. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Let's see. Nice seeing Laura Dern win. Yes, that was fantastic, and I it actually kind of blew my mind that she had not won before. Right. Because I mean, there's a million things that she already deserved an give Oscar her a, for. Give her a Wild at Heart Oscar now. Yeah, Wild at Heart, Blue Velvet. <laughs> if you want to talk about I acting, mean, yeah, it's she's she's great in this Kelly Reichardt movie, Certain Women, that came out. Uh, I never saw that a few years back. I yeah. highly recommend seeing that. Um, but she plays a, a lawyer in that one as well, oh, really? but a very very different lawyer in like a small town. And, yeah. Um, She's really just yeah, killing great. it lately between yeah. this and uh, Big Little Lies. Yeah, which I have yeah. not seen, but I've heard good things about. You know, I watched part of the first season, but Emily barreled ahead without me, so I kind of got left sure, in the sure. dust yeah, I know that and thing. never picked back up. Yeah. But it was good. There's a, there's a whole controversy about that show where the first season was directed by this uh, Canadian Jean-Marc Vallée, mm-hmm. who's done – what did he do? He did um, – what's that movie about – I think it's called – it's somebody goes off on like a on a hike and they get lost and they can't get back. I think it's Reese Witherspoon who plays the the lead. Oh sure, the uh, it's called Wild or something. It, or? it was the the book. Yeah, uh, was a very famous yeah. book. Very anyway, popular. He book. Made, he that made, was a good movie. Yeah, he made that movie. He made like Dallas Buyers Club. He's he's made a bunch of stuff. Great movie. So he directed the first season. Second season brought on a new director, uh, Andrea Arnold, um, who I'm quite a big fan of her uh, her feature work. Um, made films like uh, American Honey, Fish Tank, 
Uh, I don't know those movies, Casey. Yeah, she's uh, she's out of the UK. Um, American Honey made a pretty sizable splash. Shia LaBeouf is in it. I do remember hearing about that because it's, it's kind of like a three-hour road movie. Yeah, very uh, like on the road, Kerouac kind of inspired. That's um, good. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's mostly uh, non-professionals in the cast, and um, shot. You can basically tell like they really are kind of in a van, just driving around America. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, it's it, it's sort of a, a film about the youth of today, especially people who come from kind of a lower social strata, uh-huh. and sort of their their discovery, quote unquote, of America, and um, really really good. And so anyway, she came on to this. Um, Big Little series, Lies. Big Little Lies. Season she has two. her very distinct kind of unique way of shooting. She's kind of in the Malick school of like shooting all the time, finding uh, these little stolen moments yeah, that are yeah. natural and unplanned and so on. And that was the way that they shot the whole season and mm-hmm. nobody interfered with it until it got into the cutting room. And then the problem started. I think I remember hearing about this. Yeah. And so basically. Who, who won? Probably HBO. Yeah, HBO and, and, and Valet, <laughs> who's a producer as well. Basically, he came back in, reshot a bunch of stuff. Oh, interesting. With her on set, still kind of as director, but it was kind of like, you know. Neutered her? Yeah, in a way. And so, that sucks. You know, I, I think some people were not as happy with the second season, and then it kind of became this thing of like, release the Andrea Arnold version, please. And Yeah, it might have been know, much better. Which I don't think it ever reached full completion for them to just put out an alternate version like that. But Well, or if you're going to turn it over to someone, either let either do that and let them exactly, do their thing. Exactly. Or say... Hey, listen. We'd like you to direct this. We think a lot of you, but we really want to keep with this certain style. Stick with the house style because that's that's because that's this show. That's the rule in TV. Is that yeah? You got to you're, adapt a, you're to a that. hired hand, and uh-huh. you need to kind of match all the other episodes more yeah. or less so that it feels consistent. And when you kind of bring a, a completely different, unique uh, viewpoint to a show, right? Some shows that's probably great, but this one they wanted to keep it hmm. kind of in that more familiar season one territory. So it's gotcha. kind of a mess. Yeah. Well, some good acting on this show. That's all I know. Yeah. And great houses. Emily and I watch a movie just because of the the location. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Some great houses. Oh, yeah. I think Emily's seen that stupid movie, uh, Me, You, Me, and Dupree, like <laughs> at least twice just because of the house. <laughs> wow. What's 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 so special at the house? Oh, it's just, you know, movie houses are always great. Yeah, oh, yeah. And when they, they match what you love, sure. then it's the best version of that. So this was like this amazing craftsman with, you know, great built-ins and just all this, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, craftsman porn everywhere. Have you seen uh, that that documentary kind of essay film, Los Angeles Plays Itself? Yes. There's there's some great commentary in that film about yeah. architecture and houses and, uh-huh. you know, uh, the way the way certain architecture in L.A. is, like, always associated with villains in movies. Oh, int- yeah, um, that's right. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that just made me think of that, like, the way he uh-huh. he really takes – that stuff very seriously and, yeah. you know, reads several, several layers uh-huh. into a film. Just, that's that's uh, a great title, too. Yeah. Los Angeles plays yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that, that famous uh, glass cube house. Exactly. That's what I was picturing in, in my head, too. So many movies. Yeah, yeah. Man, good stuff. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. 
Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. All right. So let's get into Ghost World, uh, the great, great film uh, from Terry Zweigoff from 2001, I believe. Yes, I think you're right. Uh, when ScarJo was – and she actually played older, which is rare. Mm-hmm. Usually yeah. they get like a 24-year-old to play an 18-year-old. Right, right. I think she was about probably 16-ish, 17. Yeah, she was, on she, her was, she was kind of you know playing a few years above her actual age in, yeah. in a few roles in that, in that period, I think. Yeah, which she did well, I think, because yeah. there was a uh, – I don't know. There was a worldliness of maybe a exactly. maturity a, with a, her. a kind of a, a, a wisdom beyond her years. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. An old soul kind of feeling. Yeah. It's fun to see this again, though, and see her as just a little kid because she's really good in this and the way that she was a good actor when she was a kid. Sure. It's yeah. like it, this does this role doesn't require digging super deep emotionally. Yeah. It's sort of all on the surface, but she nailed it. The, the sort of detachment, the irony, oh, yeah. the kind of um, just above it all. <laughs> like everything sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like you're right. You don't have to – there's only a few scenes really um, where where we start to see beneath that armor mm-hmm. and we see some real vulnerability. And, and she's great in those scenes as well. But yeah. a lot of it is just kind of, um, you know, Daria level, uh-huh. like just <laughs> eye rolling at everything. So what's your – what was your entry point for this film and, and why was it on your – Short list of things you sent. Well, I saw it back in 2001. Mm-hmm. I watched it a lot back then. It was one of those movies that... You were young then. Exactly. I mean, I, I was kind of the age of the characters, yeah. roughly. So I would like have been high schoolish? Yeah, I would have been like 18 uh-huh. or so when it came out. That's great. So I definitely watched it in high school, um, told all my friends about it, made them watch it. And you said um, Scarlett Johansson is cute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, we, we'd all seen Thora Birch in American Beauty a couple years before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember. I don't think I had seen Crumb yet, the, the Zweigoff documentary on Robert Crumb. Right. Um, which, I had. Okay, yeah. But I was a lot older. Sure, sure. Um, which was something that I discovered very soon after mm-hmm. discovering this movie and went back and watched that and was blown away by that. Yeah. And also, you know, that movie and this movie are kind of um, complementary in a lot of ways because I think so. there's a lot of crumb in Seymour. And, yeah. And in and, and the overall kind of worldview outlook yeah. of everything in this film. Yeah, which we'll talk about at length because that's a lot of what this film is about. Yeah. But I think like Ghost World, the R. Crumb documentary, and American Splendor – you can package as sure. this yeah. just sort of great trio of yes, films yeah. about a certain worldview yeah. and a certain aesthetic, a certain time and place. Right. Uh, and certainly, you know, a, a group of uh, artists. Yeah. In this case, graphic novelists. Crumb has like a small kind of role in mm-hmm. American Splendor as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for me, this was the, like the way that I related to this film was very much – a personal relation, like seeing a lot of myself in mm-hmm. these characters, <laughs> All right. relating a lot to how they felt. Yeah, I could see that, young Casey. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I definitely had that same experience of feeling very cut off from mm-hmm. the bulk of the people at my high school, of feeling kind of different, of feeling mm-hmm. like, when am I going to meet, quote unquote, my people, Right, that kind of thing. Maybe I, feeling I, a little older yeah. than your peers. I did have really good friends in high school. I don't, I don't want to say that I didn't, but 
still I had this feeling that like, you know, you're going to go off to college and you're going to meet the people that are like right. 100% into everything that you're into. Yeah, you weren't one of those people that was like, man, high school, best years of my yeah, life. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's there's not necessarily a ton of nostalgia for that period. Yeah. Although I didn't have like a terrible high school experience, but still, it's it was like, you know, there's better things ahead kind uh-huh. of feeling. Did you go to Roswell High? Yep, I That's sure did. tough school. <laughs> tough, really? Well, no. academically, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. Know if, you know, if it was the same back standards then. Are, yeah, standards are pretty high there, I guess. But now it's it's kind of regarded as yeah. a, uh, for Atlanta Public High School, it's kind of a pretty challenging one. When you said tough, I was thinking more like dangerous. I was like, no, it was it's not, not dangerous. dangerous. <laughs> it's pretty much the opposite of dangerous. Yes, it's very safe, but yeah. academically uh, pretty yeah. well regarded. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we can jump all around. I don't think we need to go in order for this. Uh, Terry Zweigoff was... I think like fifty or fifty-one when he made this yeah. first. He's definitely narrative a, a feature late, film. late starter in, in in filmmaking. Yeah, that's very encouraging. I think. Yeah. For people out there that think, Ugh, I'm thirty-five and oh, I sure. haven't done it yet. Like, why bother? Like me, right? Yeah. Look at Terry Zweigoff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I definitely. Um, He's the only example. <laughs> no, no, no. Robert Allman was like ancient by the time yeah. he did Mash. No, it, it, he, I like been, seeing it when it happens. So. Yeah, there's 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 a there's a handful of directors you can you can point to that you know. Mm-hmm. They they don't really get going until like their fifties, sixties, yeah. even. Boots Riley, yeah, just made his first that's movie. That's right. That's right. I think he's kind of my age. Yeah, yeah. So it's never too late, folks. That's right. Uh, Thora Birch. I sort of did a deep dive on her after this because I was like, where did she go? Yeah, yeah. And I read an article from last year where she kind of talked a lot about her dad. And I think she was defending him, but a lot of the outside people they interviewed said that her dad kind of got in the way a lot Wow! Yeah. in her career, pissed a lot of people off. Classic kind of stage dad syndrome. I think so, but yeah. her parents, unless I read this incorrectly, were both adult actors. Hmm, okay. And I don't mean they started acting yeah, when they were I, I, I think 19. I, I see what you mean. I think they were adult film actors. Interesting. Because they were both in Deep Throat. Okay, yeah, sure. And I... They have like a Emily bunch of was like, outside I that, think that's or? just alleged, and I was like, no, man, like, it's on IMDb here's a picture of her mom. Oh, like, wow, wow, in Deep Throat. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so he knew his way around the film business, even if it's if yeah, that's you're kind the of version in, of in that world, sort of. Like he understood filmmaking. Yep. And apparently would get a little too involved, just like even getting up to the director and say, no, you're not lighting her like she should wow. be lit and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Which, as you know, is like. That that'll get your yeah. daughter uh, not working very fast. Yeah, if you're you know if you're not Marlene Dietrich or something. Yeah, and I think that might have been the case. I think that's why she went away a little bit. Yeah. Although she's like, you know, I want to go to college, which she did, sure. and that's fair enough. But um, it's tough to come back sometimes when you take that break, and that's why actors don't take breaks. And also, I feel like if you if you first appear when you're a like kid. a kid, because she was know. in. She was a little little yes. kid in some movies, right? Yes, yes. So that that's always difficult too. People age awkwardly sometimes, or yeah. or they just don't look like what everybody's picture of that person is. Especially when you go away, because yeah. I there's, saw a there's picture that disconnect. of her. She's thirty seven. She's like late thirties sure. now, maybe even forty, and she looks like someone her age. She looks fine. Yeah. But when you don't see someone for right fifteen years, it can be a shock. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, like yeah. Thor Birch is not a kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when when people kind of disappear off screen like that, mm-hmm. they kind of stay frozen in our minds as a certain thing. And then when you see them again, it's like, whoa, what? Who is this? You know? Yeah, yeah. They're like, uh, it's me, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, I'm 18 years yeah, older. Exactly. <laughs> um, but Scarjo is so good. Thor Birch is so good. They're they're assholes. Yeah. Um, 
But I think seeing it at this age was a lot different than when I saw it when it first came out. Right, right. Um, same here, same here. I think I was a little more like, yeah, man, fuck all that shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I saw it, you know, within a few years of, like, reading Catcher in the Rye. And yeah. Like, that, that whole teenage thing where you really do feel like you've kind of got the world figured out mm-hmm. and everybody else is an idiot. And yeah. and if they would just get out of your way, then you right. could do great things. Um, and uh, but they're idiots. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> Not you idiots, even but... you even see that trajectory in the film, right? Uh-huh. Of like, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of what it's about mm-hmm. is is growing up, is sort of um, maturing and yeah, um, hard lessons, encountering the real world, kind of for the first time. Yeah, yeah, hard lessons and and just um, you know, you, coming to that realization that you're you're maybe not the person you thought you were. And mm-hmm. who you're going to become is somebody that's almost a stranger to you, and yeah. But you're going to have to take that journey and and right. you know and and see where it goes. But it's that high school thing too, where like they're so anti-establishment. Yeah. But at that age, like you can't even do that right. Oh yeah, yeah. It's you very know? funny. Like the the things that um, it's like when she has like her one day punk phase, right? Yes. And and everybody just oh, rags man. on her for being so cliche and yeah. so try hard. Um, but but at that age, I mean, it, I know. you you are really struggling to kind of figure out mm-hmm. the everything about yourself, your identity, like what what you're going to be. Yeah, and she projects this like I don't give a shit what anyone says. Yeah, but she's so threatened. Oh, yeah. when people come after her green hair. Yeah, she's very. She's very, like, well, I'm clearly doing the yes. original punk thing. Yeah, and, and then Scarlett actually says like I didn't really get it either. Yeah, she's like everybody's stupid. You I know? know that was a pre- there are a lot of little lines like that. That are easily just sort of not noticed. Right. The first time through especially, you yeah. might just kind of let it slide. And then right, once but, you kind of know uh-huh. where, where the movie's going, you start to see those tiny little cracks in yep. the fissures in the, in the friendship I know. start really early on. Yeah. There's – um. I'm trying to remember what the very first thing in the movie is that, that signals like that because I, I, I clocked it last night when I was watching. There's a, there's a shot where it just cuts to Scarlett Johansson um, not saying anything, but she has this look of kind of – I'm not really feeling 100% connected to my friend right now kind yeah. of thing. It's interesting because when you're both two sort of misanthropic, mm-hmm. um, everyone is an idiot, and you hang around each other and it's just constant sort of negativity, Yeah. eventually I think you will turn on each other even. Or or one of you is going to spin out of it. And, and, which is Which is what movie. happens, yeah. yeah. And, and then there's going to be that kind of disconnect where – Suddenly, it's like, uh, you know, pretty late in the film where um, Rebecca, the Scarlett Johansson character, mm-hmm. is working in what is clearly a Starbucks, though it's branded as something else. <laughs> yeah, <the> green and, <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, you know, she has all these customers that give her a hard time. Mm-hmm. And Thor Birch is in there, and, you know, she's she's still kind of amused by it. Yeah. She thinks that it's cool that these people are kind of uh, a pain in the ass and uh-huh. so on. And Scarlett's like, it, it's really not. They're really not cool. Yeah. It just kind of sucks. I just kind of want to kill everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and and she's like, but those are our people. And it's just kind of, you know, it's like yeah. one of those things where it's like, all right, it's time to like, you know, grow up a little bit. Yeah, they, they kind of take turns almost. Um, and it's not like they're taking turns. What it is is they're each on their individual journey. Exactly. And they're overlapping some and they're going apart some. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, for instance, Scarlett Johansson wants to – She's like, get a job, man. Yep, yep. And like, let's go shopping for plates. Yes. Because we, 
an apartment with nothing to drink out of is not cool or hip. Yeah. Like, she, let's grow up a little bit. She's, she's working now, so, like, her time is a lot more limited. Yeah. And so, like, the importance of making plans and being punctual and yes. sticking to the plan and so on. That whole, like, be there by noon, yeah, please. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, when, you know, while Thor Birch is still kind of in this, like, maybe I will, maybe I won't, just kind of drift from day to day. Right. You know, uh, take life as it comes, uh, just be a free right. spirit and so on. But on the other hand, she is the one that is giving Seymour a chance. That's right. And thinks like, this guy might be cool. Yeah. Whereas ScarJo is like... Very dismissive. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's interesting. And that's just life, man. Like, sometimes you hang on to those friends from yeah. when you're yeah. 14 and 15. But a lot of times you don't. And you yeah. grow up and you're like, we're not really that much alike anymore. Yeah. College was like that, certainly for me, of mm-hmm. like people that... I didn't really have the that disconnected feeling during high school mm-hmm. so much. But as soon as high school was over, even the summer between high school and college, it was kind of like you could feel people being pulled in different directions. Yeah. And then, you know, when people go out of state for school and you're mm-hmm. kind of spread around the world a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's very easy to kind of either lose touch or keep in touch, but just that connection starts to become weaker in a way. Yeah, and you find yourself a lot more, obviously, in a college and even in post-college because uh, it's interesting now with Facebook to look around and uh, especially at my age, you know, at, at 48 years old, to see the, my best friend in high school yeah. m- moved to Montana after college yeah. and never left. Right, right. And all he does is hike and fly fish <laughs> uh, with his two girls and his yeah, wife. Yeah, Um some people never left the five square miles that they grew up. Yep. Um, and they don't hike and fly. <laughs> no, no. But I definitely, I definitely knew those people too. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like Facebook Would, kind of, kind of spoils that stuff. You know, sure. the the mystery of the class reunion or, I've or ne- the I've never been to a class catching reunion. up with a friend after you know a long time. You can just each sit around and say, "Oh yeah, I know. I saw that." Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> I saw your post. I saw your post. Whatever. That's why I don't post a lot, Casey. Yeah. I like to. Uh, same here. Keep people in the I'm pretty much, in the dark. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty much off Facebook without being off Facebook at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I peek around to see because right now I've kind of hidden almost everyone that's not a very close friend mm-hmm. or professional colleague. Yeah. Um, and that's a good way to keep up with professional colleagues. Yeah. There you go. But I, I dropped everyone else. Yeah. You just got to at some point. <laughs> Sorry if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, Bob Balaban, the great Bob Balaban. Fantastic. So good in this and a, and a smart uh, – a small role, but – uh, Enid is so mean to him, yeah, and so mean to Terry, the beloved Terry Gar, mm-hmm. whom I miss so so much. Yeah, uh, and her situation is just so tragic and yeah. sad. Yeah, but um, they're both. I think, and the thing is, kind of the point is, they're both okay. <laughs> they're fine. <laughs> they're yeah. not jerks. No, no. And she acts like she's the step monster incarnate. But I, I can completely relate to that teenage feeling of like. Yes. Mom, dad, you're embarrassing me. Right. Please go away. Like, yes. Um, that, you know, that's the, some kids, a lot of kids have that period where you want to, you want to define yourself yeah. as something separate. And, um, doesn't matter how much your parents love you or how much, how genuinely supportive and, and cool they really are. I know. You know, it's it, every parent's nightmare. There's just no way around it, really. Yeah. Unless, you know, my brother is, uh, I just hold him up as the perfect example. His, both of his kids, Always adored their parents. Wow, yeah. And still do. Yeah. And they're all best buddies still. And there was never that period That's great. where yeah. they rebelled and to the extent where they were like, You suck. I yeah. don't want like yeah. I don't want my parents around. Yeah. So but you know, you can't make that happen. No, you can't and you can't 
You can foster it, but exactly, you can yes. make it happen. Yes. It, it might go that way regardless of what you do. Just, you know, it just depends on the kid. That's right. <laughs> um, these girls are very fun at the same time in their spirit of adventure. Sure. And their offbeat kind of let's let's follow those people. Yeah, the yeah. moment the Satanists, the Satanists go out, the, the black umbrellas, they pop out those umbrellas, yeah. and they both have. It looks like such a genuine reaction. I wondered if that was if they surprised them. Yeah, with the umbrellas they didn't tell them it was coming. Yeah, because they were both just like, oh my god. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so great, I love it. Uh, and then uh, obviously we got to talk about Brad Renfro, the late great. Yes. Yeah, man. So sad. What, so he OD right. Yeah, he – after this movie, this was, what, 2001, mm-hmm. he made another movie with Larry Clark called Bully, which is fantastic. Yep, I saw that. Fantastic movie. Very, very, like, depressing movie, but, yeah. but also extremely well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, he, he probably had a few more roles here and there, but, yeah, he, he started to really, really get into trouble with drugs, with uh, hard drugs, I think – Heroin, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it said he died from heroin and morphine yeah. at the age of 25. And it was the kind of thing where I think even, even when he was still working, he, it was the kind of, he had that kind of reputation. Yeah, he got arrested and Larry stuff. Larry Clark, um, I, I think, had to like, you know, at, at a few points go into like flop houses and <clears> kind <throat> of bring him back from the brink. And Well, it says here he was arrested on Skid Row in L.A. Like, yeah. If you're hanging out down there, man. I feel like he there's a story where he like stole a boat from a, you know, from a dock while he was filming Bully, maybe. And they had to, like, talk the police into letting him back out again. And, hmm. you know, he's going to have a minder and all this kind of stuff. But he just had some real demons, yeah. It's very sad. It's very, very sad. Um, he's, he's quite a talent. And it's weird to me because having watched the the commentary track for this film, having also read, like, the the um, like the Criterion liner notes and so on, nobody mm-hmm. really mentions Renfro in any uh, of Oh, really? Interesting. And I wonder if it's just because... It's depressing. It's a sore spot somehow. It's depressing. Maybe he wasn't great to work with. I don't know. But yeah. whatever it was, he was he had a great screen presence. And yeah. he, he brings a lot to his role here, even though he only has a handful of scenes. Agreed. He still sticks in your mind as like being a, a fleshed out yeah. kind of person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mullet dude. Yes. Man, <laughs> I love that guy. I think of him as a nunchuck guy sometimes as well. Yeah, nunchuck guy. Yeah. <laughs> Rock and roll, baby. Yeah, he, speech. he was great. I never realized until last night, and I've seen this probably. It's probably like my fourth. Mm-hmm. That there was a, a scene at the very yes, yeah. I got scene. surprised by that too. I mean, I've seen it before, but it had been a while, and I forgot about it. I saw it last night for the first time. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, for people at home that have seen this and not seen the post credit scene, the part where Steve Buscemi, uh, where his character gets uh, taken down by Nunchuck guy, yeah. when he confronts Josh yeah. in the convenience store. Uh, there's an alternate version of that where he <laughs> beats their asses. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you want to fuck with me? Yeah. He, he runs out the door. <laughs> but it was funny after a very low-key Steve Buscemi performance right, right, right. to see him go full no, like yeah. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> and it was funny watching it last night. It almost had the effect of feeling like maybe this is where Seymour is going to get to as a, oh, as a character. Like, because the last thing we see of him is very bleak in yeah. a way. He's, he's seeing a therapist mm-hmm. and... I mean that part's fine, but but it, you can just tell like he, until his he, mom picks him up. <laughs> yeah, when his mom picks him up, then but then you realize like he, he's even saying to his therapist, he's like, you know, everything ever since my life went to shit, like uh-huh. you know, I, I feel like I'm getting better now. I'm I'm almost ready to get back into life again. Yeah, I guess you kind of assume that obviously he's been fired from his job. Uh-huh. He probably had to move back home. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just decided to. I don't know. Yeah. 
Uh, he had that stint in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So from his neck uh, injury. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> exactly. So you know, we we hope that uh, I hope anyway that that he's this is going to be a, a turning point for him, and yeah. he's going to start doing something a little more in line with you know who he is. Yeah, he was really good in this movie. I loved the character of Seymour. Yeah. Um, I felt bad for him a lot, not because of any way that he is, but for how he's treated yeah. and sort of viewed. Right. Um, but there's that one great line, you know, because Thorberg's clearly sort of – I mean, let's talk about the relationship. Yeah. Does she fall in love with him? I think so, in in her own way. And is are we to think that she's like 18? Yeah, and I think he's, so. 40? 40, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's pretty creepy. Yeah. It's, but he's not on the prowl, though. No, that's the thing. I, I think the reason that it doesn't play too uh, disturbingly in the uh-huh. film is that it really is Thora Birch who's pursuing yeah. him. Oh, absolutely. You know? and, and he's even sort of most of the movie like, hey, yeah, you know, like you're a kid, you're right, a kid. Right, right, right. And especially once he gets in that relationship, he's really trying to— With he's Dana? In a, he's in a, yeah, he's, yeah. In a, he's in a tough spot because he— uh, it's like he can't even fully acknowledge mm-hmm. that there is this second layer of, you know, uh, almost attraction or, right. or romantic kind of interest between the two of them yeah. because there shouldn't be. Right. And and so in a way it's like, well, what's the problem? We're just friends. But uh-huh. he knows and she knows that it's a little more than that. It's a little more complicated. And yeah. that's why he doesn't feel so great about seeing her once he's in this other relationship. But you it's hard for him to articulate can't. it. Yeah. You're not allowed to do that yeah. in society. Exactly, exactly. You're almost it's like, not hey, allowed to have right. an 18-year-old friend who's a girl if you're yeah. a 40-year-old man. Right. That's almost impossible to pull off. To, it's just going to look wrong. It does. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, it, it's it's amazing that this movie manages to pull it off. Without it just feeling like he's predatory yeah. or – yeah, Because they are like friends yeah. and they've got a lot in common. And they support one another, I feel like. I mean, he's he's like uh, – he's almost a little bit of a mentor in a way. Absolutely. Um, but but very much a friend too. And, and mm-hmm. it, it, you know, she's teaching him things about life as much as he's teaching her. Yes. In terms of the dating and, uh-huh. and so on and in terms of just saying, hey, you know, you, you are a nice guy. You have some good qualities. You shouldn't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. You should put yourself out there more. And there are people like you that will – you know, that would, that would be thrilled to date you and so on. Yeah, um, that, gets, that's something that he really needed to hear. I think so. Yeah, she takes him on as a bit of a project, right? Because exactly. she feels like she owes him because right. of how they met with yeah. her, setting him up and making fun of him. Exactly. Uh, there's that great line later in the movie that really, and and I have a few lines in here scribbled down that I love. But uh, when she says, "I guess I just can't stand the idea of a world where a guy like you can't get a date," right, right, and that's kind of one of the sweetest things she could say to him in that moment. Yeah. Not like, hey, I think you're super handsome or I think you're like right. whatever. She's like, we shouldn't – like you should be able to get a date, man. Yeah, yeah. You're a good guy. You have a lot to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah um, we, all, we all need to hear those things. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean I, it's so funny that you know, I relate to, to so many different parts of this movie. I can relate to the Thora Birch and yeah. Scarlett Johansson, that kind of teenage, uh-huh. you know – angst and, and apathy and... But now you relate to Seymour. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, a little I, older. But w- when I was, even when I was 18, I could relate oh, to did. parts of Seymour uh-huh. where, you know, he's he's like, um, like you know, when, when they go to the uh, the concert and he's there to see the opener. Blues hammer. He was like this like deep cut, you know, um, old old Delta Blues guy yeah. who has been humiliatingly reduced to being the opener For blues to hammer. this awful, awful... <laughs> 
Yeah, Blues Hammer. Like, That's such a funny line. It's super funny, yeah. Yeah, like uh, just to call a band Blues Hammer. Yeah, yeah. And then they get up there and start singing about like... Plowing the, yeah, the cotton picking cotton. And, yeah, and it's a bunch of white dudes. <laughs> so terrible. Just obnoxiously, yeah. you know... Uh, yeah, it's 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 perfect. But the way the way he has that exchange with uh-huh. uh, the woman at the at the at the show, yeah, 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 where it's like, oh, you guys both <laughs> like blues, and then he just goes on to this long pedantic diatribe. Yeah, like, about, technically that was ragtime, yes, but not yeah. Scott Joplin ragtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's just like, well, you should stay for blues hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I I've had those those uh, moments like that uh-huh. where where it's just kind of like, you know, you're you're. I, this is something that's that's so interesting to me about the film. And the relationship that he does ultimately end up in, mm-hmm. where she has a lot of the same kind of um, uh, just just she doesn't go as deep as him with music. Who Dana? Yeah, Dana. Yeah. Um, even though she likes music as well, mm-hmm. and they can they can probably connect on on a on a higher level there, but but in terms of you know the way she will casually kind of put down what he's into without him right without her necessarily even realizing she's doing it yeah when she gives him that uh that 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 uh, horse kind of guy on cow on, uh-huh. on horseback thing um which was that was a great little payoff yeah, on that yeah one. <laughs> yeah when uh but you know she she says to him or it's it's seymour quoting her uh to uh to, to enid he says something like or she says to him Oh, you can you can put this with all your other old weird old timey stuff, right? You know, and to him, it's not yes. it's that's not why he collects it, right? He yeah. collects it because he really is passionate and cares about this stuff and very specific things and very specific not things, just anything and, old. and with with a real understanding of like history mm-hmm. and how these pieces all fit together. Yep, and and he's a what curator, that, yeah, he's yeah. a curator, and, and what that says about really America in general, uh-huh. and and, and he, this kind of like. Um, commentary on on our on our history and so on mm-hmm. and yeah to, but to her it just feels like your weird antiques your kind of you know mm-hmm. um schmaltzy stuff that you have right so and and but crucially I, I don't think the movie's really necessarily saying that therefore they should not be together right it's like this is what an adult relationship can be like you're you're right. probably not going to meet somebody that is 100 exactly percent like on board you. with everything yep. and seymour even says at one point is like what I, I maybe I don't want to meet somebody who has all my same interests. I hate my interests, you know, yeah. which is really funny. Yeah, the, the, like the self-loathing, the, the paradox of like these are my interests, ephemera, but like... I hate that these are my interests. <laughs> but they are my interests. Uh, but they have it's isolated like me disease. from. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's very interesting. And and she, you know, um, there's there's that great scene where uh, Enid asked him, like, well, let's make a list of your interests. You know, what are, uh, what, are, what are you into? That's right. And he's like, well, you know, blues, ragtime, jazz, jazz. You know, and she's like, okay, we're gonna put all that under the category of music. Right. And she's like, now you've got other uh, yeah, yeah, things yeah. That you can list, and there's probably nothing else there. Yeah, partly. exactly. Yeah. It's like old weird art. Yeah. Which, by the way, Coon's chicken yeah. is real. Yes, I know, I know. I did not find that out until yesterday. I, 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 I think I found that out just because I read it in the in the booklet for the yeah. Criterion. They had a picture. I mean, it's the same picture that's yeah. in the movie. It is a real, real place. They did not rebrand later exactly, on. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I guess they just shut down or something. Yeah. They, uh, as the cooks. times caught up with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Boy, that, I that mean, was... they they went past the times though. Yeah. I mean, they they were they were they were. Um, Restaurants in that in that chain that were open until like the late fifties. Yeah, bonkers to think about. Yeah, but yeah. if it's in the right town, oh, of course, then yeah, you can get absolutely. away with that. Uh, and we'll talk more about their relationship, you know, as we go. But uh, I do want to mention the great, great Ileana Douglas. Yes, huge fan of hers. Always have been. Mirror, father, mirror. <laughs> 
She just. Oh man. There's something about Zweig, and I don't know if it's it's probably both. Obviously, uh, Terry Zweigoff and is it Klaus or Close? Klaus. Uh, I always thought it was Close. Yeah, Daniel Klaus. And when I finally like heard it spoken aloud, I was like, oh, it's Klaus. That's weird. Yeah, their sensibility and their worldview um, as a team here. Uh, I, I think it's. I think movies like Napoleon Dynamite tried to do this right. and did not succeed. Yeah. I know people love that movie. Sure, sure. I'm not one of them. I feel like yeah. a movie like that is trying to be offbeat and weird. Deliberately. Yes. So. And whereas, whereas this, this is, is just – It's being authentically itself. Yes, absolutely. And it happens to fall into the category of offbeat or weird. Yes. this You can tell that this is how these guys kind of see the world. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know? And, and – um, yeah, that is that is a very important distinction. Just like setting out to be quirky versus just kind of being a, an individual. And maybe you know? I'm wrong. Who who made Napoleon Dynamite? What else did uh, that George, person go on Jared, to do? Jared Hess, I think, is his name. He made uh, Nacho Libra, a Jack Black movie. Yeah, you know, I never saw that, but and, my uh, brother and his family love yeah. Nacho Libra. There's one more that I'm forgetting. Gentleman Broncos. Is uh, that what it's Nacho called? Libra. Oh, you know what? That movie. Was the pick of, uh, oh, God, what comedian? Oh, I can picture him in my head. He's one of my favorite stand-ups, jo- uh, Arch Barker. Oh, yeah, sure. Josh and I were able to meet him. He lives in Australia Wow. now because I think he married an Australian woman. Oh, cool. And uh, now does comedy in Australia. Wow. And he came to a Stuff You Should Know show mm-hmm. when we toured there. And I was trying to get him on Movie Crush, and he picked Gentleman Broncos. And I looked – because I hadn't heard of the film. Sure. And I thought – and I didn't ask him. I thought he might have been trolling me because <laughs> it's regarded as like one of the worst movies ever. Right, right. Like the Rotten Tomatoes on it is like – I'm going to look it up actually. I mean it's in the teens sure. or something. 19%. So I was like, is this guy fucking with me? Yeah. Uh, but when I met him, he said, yeah, you know, sorry we didn't get to Gentleman Broncos. He's like, that movie is amazing. He's like – Everyone gets it wrong. Yeah. So he genuinely loves it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Comedies can be like that sometimes. It made me want to see it, though. Yeah. No, I mean, the I have not seen that one. There's another kind of similar, maybe similar example in a way. Um, Tom Green's Freddy Got Fingered is like an all-time favorite of mine. Really? And it probably has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes if I you were to I never, ever saw that movie. Oh, yeah. it's That one, it's a little different, I think, than, than Gentleman Broncos because – the movie itself is kind of a Tom Green prank in right. a way. I mean, the act of making that movie uh, was sort of him 10%. putting putting a middle <laughs> finger up to the studio system and right. you know the what what was expected of him in terms of being a first time director and so on. Uh-huh. But I also think it's genuinely like hilarious, really and surreal and bizarre. I, and, maybe I should check it out. Yeah, I, I don't know if 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 you'll be into it or not, but. Again, it was it was this is one something I saw around the same time as Ghost World, mm-hmm. like two thousand one, two thousand two. Um, discovered it on DVD, and yeah, it's two thousand one. Didn't didn't expect to to really even enjoy it, even though I loved the Tom Green show and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I really really enjoyed the movie. Really thought it was just it just took me by surprise. It has a very very mean and kind of extreme sense of humor, mm-hmm. and it goes way farther than you think it's going to. Oh, really? Um, in, in a way that I really enjoyed. You know, it, it does not pull punches, uh-huh. and it um, it just goes into some kind of really out there, uh, bizarre territory. There's also an amazing Rip Torn performance. He, oh. he plays the dad. He was just I think I knew that. hates his son with every <laughs> fiber of his being. Uh, I gotta check that out. Then. Yeah, it's 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 super super funny. Uh, I will look. I'm looking now though. Napoleon Dynamite was 2004. 
I guarantee you that Ghost World was an influence oh, yeah. on this movie. Yeah, there was there was a kind of um, it, it's kind of like when uh, you know you have a band like Nirvana or something, mm-hmm. and they kind of do something unique and original and new. And then, like, the labels start signing, like, every yeah. other band from the town that kind of sounds like them but yep. are not as good. Yeah. I feel like a similar thing happened, like, you know, when Tarantino mm-hmm. came through with, like, Reservoir Dogs and, oh, and Pulp Fiction. There were so many All the clones and so on. I think a valley. similar thing happened with not just Ghost World, but, you know, the, the, all, the, all the great indie films that were happening mm-hmm. in, like, the 90s into the early 2000s, like the, the Todd Solondz films as well. Like, mm-hmm. there was this kind of um, – new sort of indie comedy that was yeah. very, very, um, made you a little bit uncomfortable. It was kind of edgy. Yeah, they were about the fringes yes. of society. Yes, And there were there were a number of them, like the Todd Solondz films, like Happiness and so on. Loved them. Yeah, that were that were original and mm-hmm. unique and 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 the the product of someone that was just expressing their own like sensibility again, mm-hmm. not trying to be weird, just being themselves. Right. Um, and then there's the the derivatives, right? And I feel like there were so many movies, uh-huh. these like kind of indie movies in in the 2000s that were deliberately going for quirky. Yeah. You know, deliberately going for that indie sensibility, but from within like a Hollywood studio kind of. Um, place. Yeah. And you could really tell the difference. You could really spot the difference between like a genuine indie and like a garden state or something. Right. That's that's kind of faking it. That's or sort of a, a been Juno maybe even. Yeah, sure, sure. Like I liked Juno yeah. when I saw it. But looking back and geez, I liked Garden State when I saw it, but that movie is really I did taken too. I mean beating. the first time I saw it, I mean <laughs> my my friend had the soundtrack and you yeah. know um it, but it definitely was one of those that did not age very well, yeah. and you're embarrassed to say you liked it like a, a few years later. Isn't that weird? Yeah. The Garden State phenomenon yeah. has happened. There's been such a backlash <laughs> yeah. against that poor, and poor Zach Braff. Braff. Yeah. And everyone's mad at him now because yeah. he dates Florence Pugh. Yeah. Everyone's like, what? You're dating Zach Braff? <laughs> yeah. And she's kind of like, uh, yeah, he's awesome and I love him. Yeah. And he's I'm like, sure he's a fine guy off, off camera, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's that I've I've heard I kind of feel bad for him. I've heard that is so often the phenomenon in Hollywood is that the people you meet that you kind of don't care for their work mm-hmm. tend to be some of the nicest people. Oh, really? And then when you finally meet someone who's like a hero and brilliant, yeah. they can be a bit of a jerk. Don't meet your heroes. I mean, that's 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 a little bit of a subtext in in the ghost world too. Uh-huh. The idea that um, like a, an artist or 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 somebody that is um, even just very deeply engaged with art, like Seymour. Mm-hmm will tend to be somebody that is a little bit of a social outcast, mm-hmm. a little bit socially awkward mm-hmm. or or has has certain deficiencies in, in that realm. Boy, that nerd record party. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> all I love of that them. scene. I yeah. love it's like that that party and, and just all the all the small parts, uh-huh. all the bit players in this in this movie are just amazingly cast. Just there's yeah. not one that isn't a face that you completely remember or has like one or two lines uh-huh. and, and they just like uh, you know, stick in your head. Yeah. Um, with with just a few seconds of screen time, like the guy that waits on the bench. Yeah. Or the Satanist couple. Mm-hmm. Or Crispin Glover's dad. Yeah. In the yeah. wheelchair. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. This whole movie. I was talking to Emily last night. She watched it again with me. I was like, every every man in this movie is a weirdo or a cre- <laughs> creep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like there were no. I mean, I guess Brad Renfro is about the yeah. most sort of normal straight and yeah. not straight as in. Not gay, but just sort of down the middle yeah. sort of man. Everyone yeah. else was weird, yeah, uh, or a loser, or a nerd. There's the guy, or the mullet guy. Yeah. For God's sake, there's a, there's the guy at um at uh, the office, um, uh, Seymour's girlfriend's office. 
Oh God! Yeah, and and like the that very like square jawed, uh-huh. like you know, um, very very like go get him uh-huh. sales guy kind of yeah, type. Yeah. And I mean, certainly he's he's very square. He's very normie uh-huh. in that way. Um, but, but that also, was the point. Absolutely a cartoon character. Like, uh, uh, yeah. uh, the, you know, what, what that kind of person looks like to a uh-huh. Terry Zweigoff or a Daniel Klaus or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. like uh, that scene is so great. And it's such a great example of how wonderful this movie is. It's such a little small thing. It, some of this sort of feels Alexander Payne a little bit because sure, sure. he has oh, a yeah. similar knack for just nailing the small stuff. Yep. But that little conversation that Dana and he are having on the phone <laughs> yeah. about the walkthrough, like, oh, maybe they won't even notice them Which I never – I, I think this was the first time I really understood what that was even about. Yeah, that, that they're going like to pull one over pull, on yeah. somebody buying a house. And, yeah. the, and he – I think this was pre-fist bump. Right. Otherwise, that guy would have fist bumped. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. who that dude oh, is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got the suspenders and he's like, oh, yeah. And it's so funny the the the, the, the dynamic between the two of them where uh-huh. immediately you're just like, oh, well, the two of you should probably be together. Yeah. And Seymour probably shouldn't be in the picture here because – you, you it, two it doesn't really fit that are just well. peas in a pod, yeah. you know, um, in the way like uh, he's like, all right, I'm going to go start that paperwork. Uh-huh. And he, he's like so psyched <laughs> about it. And you just think, man, like the world is made for those people who just like can yep. do that and just like be just love it, you know? Yeah. There's such a satirical eyeball on a lot of these people. Yeah. That guy, yeah. obviously the Blues Hammer people right. and the people who like Blues Hammer. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, when Scarlett Johansson is looking at the blonde guy at the bar, then he walks by. You guys up for some reggae tonight? <laughs> yeah. It's just... <laughs> just like, see, see, I told you. Those are such good lines. Yeah, you guys up for some reggae? And it's it's funny because um, I I do remember so clearly being in that mindset as a teenager of kind of, you know, you're against the world and um, and just part of maturing is mm-hmm. is uh, coming out of that a little bit. And having some humility. Yeah, thinking everyone is uncool doesn't make you cool. Right, right. You know? And and you're not even as cool as you think you are. No, you're not. And again, like, you're not as savvy as you think you are. Mm-hmm. You're not as experienced as you think you are. You're not as smart. Yeah. There's that great moment where Thora Birch is having the, uh, the yard sale. Uh-huh. And she's just kind of, at first, she's very much like, I don't care. All this stuff has to go. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm just going to shed my old skin. Uh-huh. I'm going to become this new person. And then the minute somebody wants to buy yeah. like a, a cherished childhood kind of thing, uh-huh. she's like, oh, no, no, no. That, that one's not for sale. Yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. I, that, that dress is not for sale. Yeah, Whoa, that was a big deal in this movie, I think. Yeah. Another small moment yeah. that really kind of meant a lot. She kind of um, – you realize that that child that she was is still in her, you know, mm-hmm. and she's not really – this fully grown-up person that mm-hmm. she wants to become right. or that she wants to have people think that she already is, mm-hmm. that there is still a lot of that youthfulness and vulnerability and, yeah. you know, the 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 the, the fragility, I guess, of, of a child is, is still very much there. Yeah, you don't learn how to be vulnerable until much later, right. if ever. Yeah. You know, some people, that's a hard thing for a lot of people. Sure. Um, certainly not as a child. Yeah. Uh, one of my other favorite lines in here is when she uh, listens to the record that he recommends. It moves her. Let's skip James. Yeah. yeah. She comes back and she's like, I, I want another record like that. And he goes, there are no other yeah, records like that. Yeah, It's a one of a kind. It's such a cool line. Yeah. Uh, that like, it just says a lot about who that guy is. Yeah. Yeah. You that, know? that he. Such reverence. Right. Such reverence in that he really knows this music front and back. And it's like that is that is a one-off. There's there's nothing else out there yeah. like it really. Yeah, and um, 
he does these things in a way that's not like, oh boy, I got to teach this girl. Yeah. All this stuff. No, he's he's enthusiastic about it. He loves it. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. when he first offers to bring the record down, the right. the, the rare one. Yeah. He's because there's a thing when people. There, there's two ways to share things with people: an excitement about something, and and a schooling type thing. Right. Right. And I'm always much more turned on by people that are just excited about something yeah, like he was. Yeah, Because he was like, I mean, I can go get it. Like, yeah, yeah, But yeah. I don't want to impose like, right, right, right. or seem uncool, but, yeah. but I, it's right upstairs yeah. and I can be right back. Yeah. Gosh, and his reaction is so good when she, you know, pretends to drop it. Yeah. And he, you just see his life flash before his <laughs> eyes when she catches it a split second later. Yeah. Um, it's funny, funny too. There's like even like a lot of, a lot of the record talk I can relate to more on on kind of the film side of things, but where he's saying, for instance, that um, uh, I think it's the compilation that she buys from him. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I actually know the guy who lent the record, you know, for the original to do the transfer for Uh for one of those sides. (laughs) And like, I think it cuts away to Scarlett Johansson and she just like, oh yeah, just could not hate this anymore. Yeah. And um, I I think even Enid is kind of feigning interest at that point a little bit to be polite. Yeah. And, but I'm, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing I would say. Right. I would be like, oh, I know a guy who had that print and Criterion used it to transfer the thing. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And to me, that would be genuinely cool. But totally, to man. a lot of people, it's like, oh, my God, I don't care, man. <laughs> well, that's also why you're on the show, Casey. Yeah. The entire first season of This Time Tomorrow is available now to binge from start to finish. In this new iHeart series presented by T-Mobile for Business, join me, Osvaloshin, and Kara Price as we explore the exciting possibilities of the next generation of connectivity. From smart cities to future farms, you'll find out just how much could change with future 5G networks. Listen to This Time Tomorrow on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, let's talk a bit about the old man at the bus stop. Um, that's one of the recurring um, sort of metaphors yeah. in the movie. Um, I don't know... Is he a non-actor? Because he felt like a non-actor I don't in know, a good actually, way. But he, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly can't recall having seen him in anything else. And I think in a way, if you put somebody that was a recognizable face in that role, it would not work. No, you know? totally. You need you need somebody that... That was like Ed Asner or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know why I mentioned, got him. <laughs> but yeah, you, you need somebody who just has a, a face, a very memorable face, and seems a little lost and a little bit sad. You Actually, know? he's been in a bunch of stuff. Wow, man. Well, great job. Great Pleasant job. Bill, because... Ed Wood, Men in Black. Oh, wow. Snowbuddies. He's just one of those guys, I think. Yeah. Well, he did a fantastic job of inhabiting this role. Yeah. So the, the idea there is there's this man who um, I... I don't think he said it, but I always got the feeling that he was waiting on his wife. Or did he say that? I, I no. I think I, th- I think it's just kind of you can infer. A yeah, bit. maybe it's based on a on a real person that um, I think is Terry Zweigoff had encountered in, in L. A. Oh, really? Um, it, except it was it was a homeless guy, uh-huh. which we don't necessarily get the impression that this guy in the movie is homeless just because he's got the suit on. He right. seems like a little more put together. Mm-hmm. Um, but same same kind of idea. It was just it was somebody who sat at the same. Um, bench that was for a bus line that was out of service mm-hmm. that was discontinued, and every time he would walk by there, um, he would he would see this guy, and then one day the bus was in service and uh, again, and the guy was not there anymore. 
Oh, wow. And Zweigoff kind of inferred it wasn't necessarily that the guy, like, got on this bus and went to some fantastical place. Right. Right. It's more that he probably couldn't sit on that bench anymore because mm-hmm. now there's people coming all the time and it, it, it upset the whole, like, right. appeal of sitting on that bench by himself. Yeah, so that was his park bench. He had to go somewhere else. Yeah, what do you take from this um, stuff with Norman? I know that uh, I read up a little bit and saw Daniel uh, Klaus say that he said like over 100 people over the years say that they thought that Enid getting on was a metaphor for her suicide. Interesting. And he said, when I first heard that, I was like, where are you getting that? Yeah. He said, but I've had like hundreds of people say this to me. So there's clearly something there. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, I don't I don't get that either. But I do I do understand it. You yeah, know? sure. Um, I just don't think they were, and I think he kind no. of admitted he wasn't looking to make a bigger statement there. Sure, yeah. Other than the sort of metaphor as it was. I mean, I think to me it's just, it's about change, right? It's yeah. about um, all the things that you hold on to in life that you mm-hmm. think are permanent that are really only temporary. Mm-hmm. And Enid is, is um, she wants to be this rebel mm-hmm. and she wants to kind of be uh, this this kind of iconoclastic um person that wants to break with everything and mm-hmm. just and just you know go somewhere new experience something new mm-hmm. and yet she is holding on as tight as she can mm-hmm. to everything in her life as it currently exists so she you know it turns out like when her dad is going to get back together with um what's her name may lee uh i wanted to say marianne but it's not it marlene? Is, is it marlene i think it's marlene We'll just say the great Terry Gar. Yeah. Anyway, you know, when she's going to be moving in, that makes Enid cry. Uh-huh. When, I mean, so many things. Obviously, when when the guy is finally not there at the bus stop at the end, mm-hmm. doesn't make her cry. But it's it's one of those things where it's like, damn, everything is changing. Mm-hmm. Nothing is is going to stay the same. Yeah. Um, and so, to to me, he he is that kind of um, personification of that of of. Something that you think is is going to be constant, permanent, and always there, and is not. Is, mm-hmm. is he actually when when she says to him, you know, um, you know, I can always count on you being here, right? And he's like, well, that's just what you think, or something like that. You yeah. know, and he's like, I'm I, I am going somewhere. Yep. Even though it takes him a really long time to get there, he does finally arrive wherever that place is. Yeah, and even maybe like. Even this guy is moving forward. Yeah, exactly. The guy who is not moving forward at all in the film. And a lot of this movie, I think one of the sort of themes is moving forward. Yeah. And your relationships in your life. Um, high school is the uh, is it the training wheels for the bicycle of life. <laughs> That's right. Is that the quote That's right. the yes, beginning? Yes, it is the quote. <laughs> um, so much of it did remind me of Alexander Payne. Yeah, oh Just yeah. Just that rise sort of. That kind of vibe, yeah. Yeah, satirical wit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um just little things like the the dance troupe at the graduation oh, yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Just little things like that. Yeah, the the feeling of um, uh, of sort of it's it's a kind of satire. It's a sort of um, you know somewhat misanthropic mm-hmm. view, I would say, of of uh, of life of people. Um, but but also with a core of mm-hmm. humanity there as well. Yeah, this is one of those movies that really like. Sometimes you see a movie and. The characters live in that time, and that's just fine. Mm-hmm. This is one of those movies that makes you want to know, like, where is Enid yeah. 20 years on? Right, right. How, like, she's an artist. Yeah, exactly. She's talented. I feel like she got to 
whatever it was, the next town over or yeah. upstate somewhere. I don't know. San Francisco. Because, you know, this So she's this leaving is, is your idea. I think so, yeah. Okay. I think that's the idea. Is because, you know, she she doesn't even graduate high school. Right. Oh, that's right. Because she, she gets flunked yeah. in the in the uh, in the summer school uh-huh. art class. Right. And so, you know, it's she'd have to take it again, but she doesn't. She gets on the bus and she goes off wherever. So, mm-hmm. she's she's obviously going to have, you know, maybe she gets like a GED or something at some point. But yeah. she she's going to have a non traditional path. You know, she already wasn't going to go to college. Mm-hmm. That was never part of the plan. But maybe she becomes the art teacher exactly yeah maybe she becomes the art teacher maybe she just becomes an artist full stop yeah um i don't know i i feel like she would just she would eventually fall into a group that was like-minded cool people yeah and um and and really just you know flourish hopefully in, yeah. in whatever that was and what about rebecca rebecca i mean i think i think she is she seems like she's headed for the mainstream exactly almost. yes that is that is like the big divide is that I think Enid is going to remain somebody who has this kind of yeah. alternative spirit, you know. Yeah, green hair. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, uh, Rebecca is going to be someone who follows a much more conventional, traditional path. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that, that's really interesting because you you see that I think for Enid, she's never really going to be able to accept somebody like that mm-hmm. as almost valid in a way mm-hmm. to her it feels like selling out you know it's like when she says um uh, I, I i could just never imagine having like a day job spending mm-hmm. all that time in an office you know right yeah yeah and seymour doesn't say anything when she says this but of course you can you can think in the back of your mind like well you yeah. know what do you think you're gonna do what do you think you're gonna do yeah <laughs> where where do you think you're gonna end up you're gonna be what a, a Famous millionaire person, right? Like, like, or just had the coolest job ever? Yeah, yeah. Like, those are just everywhere. The likelihood of that happening is pretty slim. You're probably gonna work in an office somewhere, or yeah, you know, outside or whatever. But it's it's not gonna be this charmed life uh-huh. where like you never have to kind of grow up a little bit, uh-huh. do adult things. It's like the, it's never gonna be as easy as it is right now. Exactly, exactly. So if you think you're having a hard time now, yeah, high school graduate, yeah, just wait. You have no idea. Yeah, because yeah. you really don't have responsibilities yet, and bills to pay yeah. and the reality of, uh, you know, as you get older, of of friends that get sick right. and get addicted. Yeah. And like, you know, as you grow older, it's like all those bubbles are burst yeah. at a more rapid rate yeah. <laughs> the yeah. older you get. Sure. It's it's kind of like when, when I first saw this movie, mm-hmm. I was like 18. Yeah. And so I was going to go off to college. I was going to study film. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I had this this sense that you know, uh, all all that sort of real-world stuff mm-hmm. was in some way not going to apply to me, you mm-hmm. know? I was still kind of in that mindset that, um, you know, certain, certain like, grown-up things, mm-hmm. these these uh, these kind of um, uh, landmarks of becoming, like, an adult, mm-hmm. I didn't have to do, right? Mm-hmm. Or I wasn't going to have to do. And, um, and it's funny now, watching it, you know, roughly at double the age before, because mm-hmm. I'm 36 now. Yeah. So that's half a lifetime ago, <laughs> and um, and 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 just you know being able to relate so much more to the adult's perspective, mm-hmm. I can still relate to the to the teenager perspective too. But it's like now I can see both sides of that, mm-hmm. and and you can almost see the 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 kind of the the tragic aspect of life, in that in a way both sides are right, mm-hmm. you know, and both sides are wrong too, and and they're they're unreconcilable in some ways. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's I think it's right for for a young person to have big plans, big dreams. Absolutely. To be like, that's not going to be me, you yes. know. Um, but then there's also that complete validity of like when when Bob Balaban says to her, you know, oh, you could you could still go to college. You could you could just um, you could live here at home and you mm-hmm. could go to the community college. Yeah. And then after a couple of years, you could transfer into this other thing. And right. very like a reasonable, good, path. reasonable adult. Yeah. You know, it, it's not going to be um, it, it, it's not like a, a tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. You just got to put in the work and do it and you'll be fine, you right. know. Um, but to her, it just seems like this impossible thing. Like, how could I possibly yeah. still live at home and go to college? That's not how it's supposed to work. And, yeah. um, you know, she, she wants to, she wants more from life. She mm-hmm. doesn't just want like what everybody else, the standard issue kind of thing. Right. And because she looks down on that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and part of her growing up, part of what we already see happening with, uh, Scarlett Johansson is that she's already kind of accepted that mm-hmm. and, and moved into that next phase of mm-hmm. like, we got to buy stuff for the apartment. You got to be here at noon because I got a lot of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. How are you such a fuck up that you got fired your first day of work? You know, all those right. kinds of things. Yeah. Um, it's just very interesting to, to see the, the, the two perspectives because I, I know for me, like I didn't like my first job was when I was probably 21, 22, mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit older. I was well into college by that point. Before you had any job? Before I had any job, yeah. Oh, wow. I had done like – I was 13. <laughs> yeah, see, exactly. <laughs> it was a buzz. I mean, I had, uh, I had uh, plenty of friends who, mm-hmm. you know, by 14, 15, 16 were working multiple days a week, mm-hmm. you know, doing uh, a lot summers, of service jobs. Yeah. I mean, even, even during the school year sometimes, yeah. but especially during the summer, yeah. And, uh, and I was just kind of like a free spirit, man. I, I was not uh-huh. – <laughs> I was off doing my own thing. And and I I'm I'm I feel very like uh, thankful in a way that I got to do that. Yeah. But it but it it, it absolutely created this kind of tension in a lot of ways mm-hmm. between me and my friends who were doing other stuff. We're doing we're starting to do the grown up thing. Right. We're starting to have those responsibilities. Yeah. And I was still sort of in this uh, prolonged like adolescent thing. Uh-huh. And um, like I said, in, in a lot of ways, a lot of my interests that I that I have even to this day, mm-hmm. I really fostered in those years yeah. where I was getting seriously into film and music and um, learning about cameras and all that stuff. I, I would have done less of that mm-hmm. if I had like, you know, a, a, a service kind of job mm-hmm. to hold down because I think that sometimes that that puts you into so much more of a mindset of just like – you know, I've gone to work, I've done my thing. Mm-hmm. What else do you want from me? Mm-hmm. I just want to relax or whatever, right. you know? And um, so it was, it's the, the, the kind of the split that happens there mm-hmm. between the two characters in the film, I think is very, very true to life. Yeah. And this movie really just nails, like, this isn't new ground uh, cinematically. There are a bunch of stories about this kind of thing. Right. Growing up, friends growing apart because yeah. one is growing up at a different rate. Uh, relationship between a younger person and a mentor mm-hmm. when – and then they get a significant other and then they're sort of pushed to the side. Yeah. Like we've seen all this stuff before, but oh, yeah. this movie does it so well and so authentically um, even though it lives on uh, not quite in reality. There's right. something about it that's oh, – yeah. uh, David Lynch because his stuff is – like if David Lynch made more lighthearted films, right, right. this is the kind of world I would expect. I could see that, yeah, because the, the, the similar sort of offbeat universe of weird characters and so on. Yeah, like none of this seems real, real life. Right. Like it's 
it's L.A. because I know it's L.A. Yeah. But it's not set in L.A. It's never said, it's never said that it's L.A. Yeah, it's There's, set in just some American town. Yeah. Uh, there are not and – and I read – I noticed it and then read it that uh, they don't use a lot of extras – when they're outdoors. Yeah, they kind of empty the landscape of Yeah, and it of, was a lot of You don't see a lot of them. people walking around. Not a lot of extras or walking around or cars. Or if you do see people, cars. they're very deliberately chosen. Right. Like even even at the very end where Enid's walking around by herself, mm-hmm. um, there's like one guy who walks back behind her like eating an ice cream cone or something right. in this big red shirt um, that very clearly is put there you yes. know, to create a certain effect. But uh-huh. you don't just see – like crowds milling about and so on. Yeah, and I mean, when they're in the bar and restaurants and stuff like that, yeah. there are people, obviously. But when they're outside, it's kind of devoid of other humans. It's, it's the ghost world, you know? Yeah. It's, it's sort it of like— this alienated sort of uh, feel to the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like, um, even though it is a big city, um, it's it's that feeling of like maybe you, you're still in your hometown, you haven't moved away yet, mm-hmm. everybody else is already kind of gone, and you're just there trying to kind of like hold on to something yeah. that is— Going away, uh-huh. you know. Um, I, I think the the, the film, in, in terms of how they shot it, a lot of the framings are very comic book inspired. I would say mm-hmm. the framings are they're very graphic. They're very um, they you know the use of color mm-hmm. and, and the production design and so on is very very strong. Is very very you know the the images just have like a pop to them mm-hmm. and a colorfulness to them. That I think is is definitely not naturalistic. It's something. It's a yeah. film that, like a Wes Anderson film or something, but yeah. a little more subtle than that. Um, I mean, it's not beating you over the head quite like Wes Anderson does. <laughs> right. um, and I like Wes Anderson. I'm no, not I know, being critical, but, but sure. I, I it's know. like I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the for the new one, but oh, man. It looks so great. <laughs> um, but but it, it's like the most Wes Andersony thing you've ever seen, right? Yeah. And like, this this feels more. It's 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 a midway point between uh-huh. the real world and complete fabrication. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it strikes that right balance. Yeah. It's not so off that it's, yeah. I there's totally there's a there's a few there's a couple great shots in the movie I think that are are very much inspired by Crumb. Um, they're they're the kind of the landscape shots of the city mm-hmm. where you'll have a cutaway. In one case, it's when they're in the car with uh, Brad Renfro, mm-hmm. and in the other, it's just at the end when Enid is walking around by herself. But yeah. uh, of all these uh, you know electricity lines and. Yeah. Um, and uh, and just all the all the fast food restaurants and, mm-hmm. and uh, billboards and just in, in, in like smoggy air and yeah. cars and traffic and um and and they shoot it on these really long lenses that that um kind of uh, flatten out the space yeah and create this this sort of um you know beautiful tableau mm-hmm. of like urban just yeah you know just a visual kind of uh, over overwhelming yeah. kind of character. And there's a there's a very very um, similar uh, sequence in uh, in Crumb where it, it's called something like uh, the evolution of America or something like that, mm-hmm. and it starts with like this open field, and then you kind of see like a farm and you mm-hmm. see like you know a, a small house and things start to take shape, and then sooner or later like all the trees get cut down and the power lines go up mm-hmm. and then it's just these kind of like chain stores and cars yeah. and people wearing t-shirts and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it, it's, there's this sense of like, you know, uh, uh of like losing, you know, something mm-hmm. fundamental about America yeah. and this kind of, uh, mourning for like some earlier state that I think this film is also yeah. tapping into a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It is that same worldview yeah. of the Picars and the crumbs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the edges of society, consumerism, 
um, or anti-consumerism, yeah. I guess. There's a, there's even like a, a tick, uh, kind of a, a, a verbal tick that um, I think probably came from from Crumb. In in the documentary Crumb, there's there's a number of times where he says like Jesus, you know, like that uh-huh. kind of. And uh, Enid does it in this film. Scarlet, I think, does it at one point. Seymour certainly does it several times. He he does it yeah. very famously in the uh, family crossing the road scene. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> which is a complete crumb like rant. Yeah. In, what are you hypnotized? Yeah. In in the in the documentary when when they just film crumb out in public, yeah. he's like looking at like what people are wearing uh-huh. and uh, the music they're listening to, and he's yeah. just like, I, I don't know what this is. I, I can't I can't come out into this. This is why I never go out. You know? Yeah, that's a f- and I think Seymour even has one of those lines. Yeah, like he says that a lot. Now I know I don't date. Now I don't know I don't leave the house. Now I know I haven't been anywhere in months. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been anywhere in yeah. months. Yeah, it's this. What the fuck is wrong with everyone? Yeah, else? he's like he's like I can't relate to ninety nine percent of humanity. Yeah, but also there's a self-loathing too. Right. Oh, yeah. He doesn't think he's better than. Right. Yeah. Or I think he he might, he might think a he's better bit, than, but, but at he the same also time, thinks he's, he's yeah. yeah he's a, a loser. He's conscious that like these people will never accept him. Right. And even though he might think in some larger sense he's the one that's in the right because he's smart and he has these cool interests and yeah, yeah. he's like developed a unique personality for himself. He's uh-huh. not like a conformist <laughs> type. But at the same time, there is that sense of shame of like. I can't go anywhere. I can't be with anybody. Yeah. Um, nobody understands me. Nobody is into the stuff that I'm into. I'm boring. <laughs> I'm not cool. I'm old. You know, all, all that stuff is is also going through his head. Yeah. Uh, so eventually they sleep with each other, um, which is a very sort of uncomfortable situation because of her age. Um, I, I guess, you know. A lot of alcohol involved too. Yeah, alcohol. Uh, technically, I guess she is of legal age. And Maybe. They, they, I mean, she might be 17. I don't know. But 17, Well, they 18. definitely portray her more as an adult yeah. as far as, like, I can make my decisions to do this. And it is it is the summer after high school. So yeah. most people have hit 18 by then, I think. Right. Yeah. But everything changes after that. Yeah. And it's that, like, skin-crawly sort of scenario where he really did the right thing for so long. It was like, no, you're just a kid. I can't right. do this. Right, right. Um, and then he sleeps with her, and then he sort of— Hang dog in love with her. That's and the yeah. That's, calling her over and over, that's and it's just the hard like, part. oh god, don't even do that. Even even like moments after it's over, you know, they're yeah. in bed, and he's like, wow, I never expected that to happen. Yeah. And then um, he's like, you know, were you serious earlier when you said that thing about moving in? You can see the wheels turning. Uh-huh. He's thinking like, wow, I'm gonna have this like really cute young girlfriend, mm-hmm. and she's gonna move in, and she's like into the same stuff I'm into, and this is just gonna be amazing. Yeah, he, he feels like he has this like new lease on life, kind of. Yeah, and, and she's already like her her back is to him. Oh yeah, we can see in her eyes that she's like I've made a terrible mistake. That I feel awful. Yeah. I've had I that sh- feeling. I shouldn't have done this, and now, uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt this person, uh-huh. and I don't want to. Um, I've had that exact same feeling yeah, and circumstance. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's terrible because when you make the leap to um, have sex with someone you're friends with, yeah. Which, you know, that can happen. Sure. Hanging out with someone a lot. Oh, yeah. It's a long summer. You have a little bit to drink. Right, right, right. Uh, It can go one of two ways. Yeah. Uh, And one way it can be like, well, you know, that was fun. Or or one of three ways. That was fun, but geez, what what a couple of crazy kids. We'll both laugh it off. Or, geez, maybe we're in love. Right. Or, oh, my God, I've ruined everything. Now it's awkward. Now it's weird. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like I've had each of those things happen. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, It's just such a real human condition it's type such of a, yeah, scenario. Yeah, it's such a human thing. And um, 
especially relationships, you know, in, in like a hetero context between men and women mm-hmm. can be so fraught with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Even though I think, you know. Because you're not talking. Yeah. Even even though as like a, you know, as a, as a culture, as a society, I feel like we, we've gotten to a place where we are more accepting of these kinds of like platonic friendships mm-hmm. between men and women. Sure. Um, but there is always that tension, you know. There's 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 no denying that um, when you're when you're around somebody that much and you're friends with them, mm-hmm. it's it's the easiest leap in the world to kind of That's right. take that one step further into like a romantic interest. It and is human you know, biology. When there's, when there's chemistry and everything involved, um, yeah. it just happens. That's right. Uh, so I have a few more favorite lines here. Sure. Uh, here you go, covered in delicious yellow chemical sludge. <laughs> the popcorn. Oh man, I was I was really cringing during that scene this time because like everything you do not do yeah, on your on your first day of work while your supervisor's like over your shoulder. You've grown up, Casey. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is a very quick little line that you just overhear, um, and I think it's in the nerd record party mm-hmm. was when you hear overhear a conversation where one guy goes, "Carpet." Oh no no no! It was in the com. It was in the where does the guy work when he makes fun of her with the green hair? Is that a mm, – Oh, that's like the record store, oh, right? Oh, is that the record store? Yeah, that's okay. like the neo-Nazi, the Pat yeah. Healy character. He says uh, carpet beetles are the only way to get the flesh off a corpse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're having just like the most awful conversation. Um, it's so great though. It's funny. I, I, I had never picked up on this before, but the name of that comic book shop is Xenophobia, like Z-I-N-E-O-phobia. Oh, really? But they, they really do appear to be like a, a low-key like neo-Nazi sect or something. Yeah. Because they're talking about, <laughs> you know, they're they're going to dissolve bodies with carpet beetles. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, there's, there's, really there's something dark going on there. Yeah. And that's sort of, again, with uh, Zweigolf and Klaus, they're offbeat world. Like it didn't feel like – they threw that in there to be no. anything other than like, man, this is kind of funny. Well, it's kind of like I, I do feel like there's a subtext in this movie of um, the dark side of America, let's say. Yeah, sure. So you have like the um, – you know, there, at one point Enid is um, – when when she sees the the poster for the for the uh, Coon's Chicken mm-hmm. and she's like, Seymour, is, is this yours? Do you like this? Yeah. He's like, are you a Klansman or something? Right. He's like, yeah, I'm yeah, a Klansman. I'm a Klansman. <laughs> um, you know, you have that reference to the Klan. You have the reference to kind of the the, the racism uh-huh. that was much more mainstream in yeah. the past. Um, you have the the neo Nazi sect and so on. Uh-huh. There, there is this this kind of feeling of like um, America is not all it's cracked up to be, kind of. And and I I, I think uh, Enid is is aware of that as well. That's part of what informs her worldview. That mm-hmm. like the surface that we see is kind of BS and there's a lot underneath it mm-hmm. that we don't talk about. Right. But is there nevertheless, but we all kind of ignore just to get along in polite yeah. society. But she's she's really uh, interested in this idea of like authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so to her, that's all so inauthentic, the idea that yes. um, that, I don't know, we can transcend that stuff or that mm-hmm. we don't have to talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable right. and so on. She just wants to... Uh, put a spotlight on that stuff that that other people want to just avoid. You know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I think that's um, that that's certainly um, uh, kind of a, a deeper subtext in in you know certainly in Crumb as well. Yeah. In in the way that he returns over and over to these images that are very racially charged and uh-huh. so on. Um, and some people, you know, maybe perhaps validly have interpreted it at times as tipping over into kind of racist caricature. Right. But it is ultimately, I think, his way of 
um, almost like vomiting up the poison of, you know, um, American history of, of this yeah. kind of um, mentality and so on. But, well, that's for sure what Ina did because with her, you know, her art by, project. By putting it on display like that. Put yeah. it on display and she and, – and that's what I love about Ileana Douglas is she very much understands. Yeah, yeah. And she fights for her. She's like, you're not taking that down. Right, right. She's like, this is her statement as an artist saying – we shouldn't bury this in the closet. Yeah. We should hang it on a wall and talk look at, about look at it. This. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. It reminds me, I, I got the opportunity to go to South Africa, to Johannesburg, mm-hmm. and there are places there where they still have the, the whites-only signs up, and it's really? not because it's a whites-only place. It's because— It's remember what happened. Yeah. Don't, don't forget. Interesting. They, the, the big prison in Johannesburg where they held Nelson Mandela for uh-huh. a while, Gandhi was there too. Um, they didn't tear it down. They turned it into a museum. Well, that's sort of— a, a very modern uh, quandary yeah. with whether it's Confederate monuments, right, right, whether or to quote unquote preserve any kind or, of Nazi. Yeah. You know, Germany just just oh yeah got rid of everything. Hitler's you know bunker is like a parking parking lot. You yeah, know? it's not even there's no marker or anything. Yeah. Um, well, the thing with the Confederate markers though is well, those it, are like uh, past post Civil War. It, yeah, right? it's it's honoring yeah. uh, them and not like hey, remember what happened and how fucked up it was. Well, and also like a lot of them were built in like the 1950s. Yeah, you know, so as, fuck as you a kind of exactly. civil rights movement. Exactly. Yeah, but um, that that that's definitely like a, a deeper theme in the movie. I think mm-hmm. um, absolutely. Yeah, and let's um, I guess let's finish up by kind of talking about some of the music. Yeah, uh, the score is great. So this kind of reminds me, the, the scene that's in the video store, mm-hmm. in the background, I'd never noticed this before, uh, but, you know, as they're walking past all the VHS tapes, yeah. um, in the bottom of the frame, at, at one point, is, if you know the poster design, you will, you will spot it. It's Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, and, really? Um, and it's interesting because in, in Terry Zweigoff's next film, Bad Santa, uh-huh. he, he uses the music from Eyes Wide Shut oh, really? as like the opening <laughs> and I think the credit song for that movie. And I think it comes up yeah. during – it's like this waltz um, that, that kind of comes up several times in the movie. Uh-huh. And for this movie, in, in, the, in some of the, 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 the notes for the, for the Criterion edition, Zweigoff talks about how when he talked to potential composers, uh-huh. the only point of reference he could give them – was like Barry Lyndon, uh-huh. uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, wow. And once he said Barry Lyndon, it really clicked for me. The piano music that's in Ghost World mm-hmm. is very, very much like the the piano track that's in uh, Barry Lyndon several oh, times. Oh, really? Um, it's this very spare, like, dun, dun, yeah. dun, 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 dun. Uh-huh. You know, uh, and there's some, some, some string instruments going along with it as well. And in Ghost World, it's it's almost the the same thing. It's, oh, wow. it's it's a different melody, but it's that same feeling of a very sparse piano uh-huh. where each note is kind of allowed to to reverberate and so on, and uh, and just like a kind of a sparse string accompaniment around it. Mm-hmm. And Zweigoff talks about how uh, he did not want to do what everybody was kind of expecting him to do musically for this movie. Mm-hmm. Which I think if you read between the lines, you know, people were expecting, the studio was expecting something a little zanier, a little more comic yeah. in Register. And I kind of feel like if if he had gone that route, mm-hmm. there probably would have been some ukuleles. There yeah. probably, you know, it would have been that whole like. Something quirky and offbeat. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And he was just like, I want to go as far in the other direction as yeah, I can from that. it really worked. And when he when he told the the guy who ended up composing the music for this movie, when he first kind of, you know, gave him his concept, the idea the the composer's reaction was, uh, well, I kind of think you're crazy, and I don't think that's going to work. But mm-hmm. you know, anyway, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll see what I can do. 
Oh, and then a few days later, um, when, when Zweigoff had kind of told him, listen to Barry Lyndon, listen to Eyes Wide Shut, mm-hmm. and, and just kind of do something inspired by that if you can. Uh, he was apparently like driving this car somewhere and had this idea come to him and invited Zweigoff over to listen to it, played it for him on the piano, and like that was it. He like, oh, hired wow. him on the spot. He was like, yes, that is exactly what I'm That's looking for. That's fucking awesome. And it's so interesting. I love, I love that um, – you know, music is something that's so hard to communicate yeah. in, in verbally. Right, right. And so when you're a director and you're trying to tell the composer what it is you're looking for. You just mention other things. You mention other things or or it's almost like you can't define it positively. So you have to yeah. define it just by everything it's not going to be. Right. Until you arrive finally at the thing that feels right. Yeah, and you can't yeah, even yeah. articulate why it's right. You just know mm-hmm. it is. But he, he said um, it, it, his choices of music are, are like that. Um, for instance, like the Skip James track, uh-huh. The Devil Got My Woman. Um some of the other blues that's in the movie, um, it was like it was just a matter of putting up as many tracks against those scenes mm-hmm. as they could until finally something clicked. Right. And there was no rhyme or reason to it. It was just like, yeah, that music works. Yeah. Finally. It took like 100 time, you know, hundred choices to get there. But wow. we got there. So cool. Yeah. Man, a great movie. I was so glad to get to watch it again. Uh, it was a movie I loved when it came out. And had I think I saw it probably at least twice, maybe three times back then. Yeah. And it, and like a catcher in the rye, it is one that over the years changes a little bit. Yeah. Like yeah. I bet in ten years, my prediction is you won't identify with Enid at all. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I'm just gonna find her insufferable, kind of. Maybe. Yeah. I didn't find her insufferable, but I was certainly like, you're Kid, you're, you're a wrong. bit of an asshole. Yeah. You better be nice to that guy on that bench. Right. Um. Just a pit in my stomach when she was fucking with Seymour. Yeah. Because uh, it's not funny or cool. No. It's like you get older and you're like, no, be kind and be empathetic. But that's that's the thing when you're when you're young at that age, cruelty seems funny. I know. You know? And, the, and there's a real power in that that yeah. I don't think they even realize they have. Right, right. And, yeah, it's not until years later that yeah. you realize, like, whoa, like that was serious stuff that, mm-hmm. was, that was going on even though we thought it was funny. Yeah. It's really not. And I was never like that. I might have, you know, I'm not saying I was some perfect kid who uh, just gave credit to everyone and right. thought everyone was amazing and had potential, but I was definitely not this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm this, somewhere in the middle. It's, yeah. <laughs> this is definitely um, towards towards the extreme edge of things in yeah. terms of their just mercilessly mocking everything and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Good stuff. Uh, great discussion as always. Yeah. Look forward to the next one. It's been a while since we've had a solo effort out of you. I know. We had all those uh, roundtables, yeah. which I enjoyed a lot too. Yeah, those but, were fun, but this but is I, good. This is my favorite though. Just like Aww. the one movie, the yeah. the kind of two going dudes, deep. Yeah. Two men, one cup. That's, <laughs> that's no. right. We got two cups in here though. All right. <laughs> all right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, Where His Music Comes From, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years that were were 
just really high risk, unnecessarily so. And a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, editor-at-large at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. There's nothing you wouldn't do for your child. From watching their soccer game in the pouring rain to soothing a crying baby at 4 a.m., you love your kids. So love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Car seats reduce fatal injury by 54 to 71% for toddlers and infants. Car crashes are a leading cause of death for children under 13, but when used correctly, safety restraints can dramatically reduce the risk of fatality or injury. It's critical that every trip, every time children are in the right seat for their age and size, and that children under 13 years of age are always buckled up in the back seat. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat to learn more. This message is brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.